welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career this is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more we are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise so you're not only learning from me four days a week but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too so if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. Friday Q&A. Today we got a bunch of questions sent in from Instagram. We are going to dive into a lot of diet questions, very specific diet questions, a few personality questions, quite a bit of educational questions, and then a whole bunch of very specific training questions. I literally think we answered like over 20 questions. All of these were sent in through Instagram, so they were shorter questions, and we tried to crank through them as fast as we could so you can get a lot of info in this podcast. Um, as always, if you want to ask your specific question, we want to hear from you because we create this podcast to help you specifically for free. So make sure you scroll into the description of this podcast, whether you're on iTunes or YouTube, you can click the ask boom, boom link. It's going to take you to a form. You fill that out for me and you can ask us any question that you have for us, or you can head over to Instagram and follow me at Cody McBroom. You can always send me a DM or you can wait and watch my story. I usually pop up a story box with a question form on there. That way you can answer, uh, ask me a question through my story. And then either way, they're going to end up on the podcast for you. So um, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And without any further ado, let's get into the episode. All right. Another episode of Q&A. Last week, we got a lot of good answers and uh, got a lot of interaction last week. Mm -hmm. Good. I think this one's going to be more of like a rapid fire. I sent you quite a few fucking questions. Well, I say that because... (laughs) Every single time. Well, I say that because this time I posted on Instagram saying... Send me your, like, do the question box. And yeah. the question box, you can only fill out so many. Yeah. Some people are smart. Well, they'll type as much as they can and then, and then hit one. send and then do another one to finish it. There's one question in there that I like X in the middle that is two. But um, that second one down right yeah. there. But most of the time, people just, you know, it's like one liner, mm-hmm. which makes it easier. So hopefully, we'll be able to answer 27 questions today. Dope. Let's start it off. We got uh first one comes from. Anders Flex Mac Mac goes. You you exit out the name. So, <laughs> how do you get fat loss started for an under eater and keep progressing for their goal? That's a good question. And for the record, Anders, I didn't x your name out. I was just marking the questions, and it happened to block out your name. So no hate, man. Um, okay. So how do you start? How do you get fat loss started for an under eater and keep progressing for their goal? typically this is one of those ones where it's kind of difficult because typically you have to have that initial conversation with them saying what you want calls for a deficit, but I can't give you a deficit, right? Like I can't put you in a deficit because guess what? Technically you should already be in a deficit, but you've had some kind of metabolic or hormonal adaptation to where that deficit is no longer a deficit, right? If somebody comes to me and I do their calculation and they should be consuming 2000 calories, but they've been consistently consuming 500 calories or f- sorry, 1500 calories. Yeah. And they're not losing weight. That's a problem. Right. Then I asked them, how long have you been eating 1500 calories? Uh, on and off for a year. I've been trying to lose weight. And it's like, now we have an issue to where you're not going to lose weight unless we get to you to like 1100 calories. Cause that's a big enough deficit to do the job, but that's yeah. not adherable. So usually in this scenario, I typically like to lean more on a reverse diet approach with like the whole G flux method which I feel like we've talked about a lot lately and it's an old theory. So it's, it's not anything new, but if I get somebody that's under eating and wants to lose weight and they're consuming 1500 and I want them eating 2000, then I'm going to look at their training and I'm going to try to add volume, increase work capacity, potentially increase steps and just reverse diet them up for sure. Right. Usually they can do that pretty, not easily because it's not easy to train more, but they can recover from it pretty well because we're giving them more fuel as we do it. So if somebody's training three days a week, I'm going to bump them up to four days a week. If they're doing 
12 sets of total exercises, not per muscle group, but just like in general, whether, you know, if it's full body, they're doing some squats and presses some pulls and it adds up to about 12 total sets. I'm going to go, how can we get you to like 15 to 20 sets in a single workout by adding EDTs, EMOMs, like density training, so we can get as much work done in a small time frame as we can. Definitely. Just going to increase volume. Obviously, it's going to increase what calories you need to use because you're doing more, but it's also going to increase energy expenditure. You're going to burn more. And if we're fueling you more by reverse dieting, you should be able to adequately do that and recover from it. So now all of a sudden they go from 7,000 steps a day to 10,000. They go from three training sessions to four training sessions and from 15 sets per workout to 20 sets per workout. We've done a whole lot and we fueled them in order to be able to do it. And the theory is that because we're fueling a greater activity level, you're going to actually start to see a recomposition. You'll burn fat, build muscle. Um, it's not always the case. Sometimes what we see here is they build muscle and they don't burn any fat, but when they build muscle, they look leaner. So they're still happy because what they see in the mirror is better. They might not lose weight, but they like what they see and their hormones, metabolism, sleep, stress, biofeedback, all that stuff is improving because we've given them more food um, and they put on more muscle. So that's typically what I like to do. Um, if I, if I can't, if I want to go this route and they're like, I can't train anymore. Yeah. Like I'm already uh, maxing out my time. I can't get to the gym another day a week. Now we can't really rely on that. And usually it's like, Hey, I got to take you through a priming phase before we can jump into an actual diet. And this is why I tailored coaching method. We have the three phases, right? Let's go through a priming phase and a progressive phase and then a recovery phase. And the priming phase is more so like, let's get you to a healthy baseline first. So if this client comes to us and they are under eating, but they want fat loss, my first priority is not to put them in a deficit to lose weight. It's to get them to a healthy maintenance so that I can later pull calories from it and lose weight. So we have to reverse them, keep them there, get consistency, teach them how to track better, get them sleeping better, get them training harder, change their environment, lifestyle factors, really just optimize everything around them and within them so that when we do go to the progressive phase, which is where we dive into a deficit, they respond. Yeah. And their body is accepting and willing and ready to lose body fat and go into this deficit. Um, and then obviously after the deficit, whether that's 12 weeks or 16 or 24 weeks, whatever it is, Recovery phase is simply reversing out of that, getting back to a healthy maintenance, which might be different now that the diet's done. Um, but as a whole, you basically have two options. G-flux, eat more, do more with a reverse diet, or simply reverse and pause fat loss for a while until you get them to a healthy spot. Has hmm. to keep uh, the progress going. Yep, exactly. Cool. All right, so the next question is, any tips for becoming a father to... Becoming a father. Oh, tips for becoming a father to a daughter. Lessons on her for her first year of life. Hmm. That's tough. A lot. Um, is this if this is a is is this a guy asking? I'm assuming. Yeah, it's Robin. Oh, I don't. Or is is it sh is she asking for her husband? I don't know. I'm gonna guess either it's way. A guy, though. Okay, so let's say it's a guy. Well, it says um, tips. Oh, I got you. Tip number one, rule number one, your daughter is not a boy. So don't treat it like a boy. Yeah. Because, you know, and some guys know this if they have like nephews or cousins or stuff like that. But even little brothers and stuff, you throw them around. You, you're rough. You know what I mean? Like there's even times where Shannon's like, hey, calm down. Remember, because I'll start wrestling with Blakely and I'm like throwing her and shit. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta chill. So she's not a boy. Um, man, that's tough. Uh, I think there's, there's certain things that you have that I don't really have any tips for you, but you gotta be ready for. Like you almost, I don't know if it's like, I don't have a boy, so I don't know if that's like, well, but you get so protective. Like there's even times where you're at the doctor and they're doing something or saying, and you almost like, kind of like step up, like, mm -hmm. what are you doing? You know? Yeah. And it's like, oh wait, it's a doctor. It's a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like calm down. Um, but at the same time, always keep your eyes open because I remember there was a point where I don't remember what we were doing at the doctor, but they had her on the bed and there's two nurses doing whatever they're doing. And I'm sitting on the bench across the hall, like across the room, just waiting for them to do a thing. And both of them turn away and walk off, like to grab something from the, the counter and just leave her up there. And she starts to roll. And this, I mean, it's as high as this table. Yeah. So it's a good drop for a fucking three month old. Yeah. She starts rolling. She was less than a year. I don't know how she was. She starts rolling, and I literally leaped forward and caught her off the bed and just stared at the nurse like, hello, <laughs> my daughter's sitting here with you. Yeah. Shannon was supposed to be under their freaked. supervision. 
Exactly. So tip, always keep your eye open. Yeah. Um, you never know. I mean, even you got to like, honestly, you ha- this is where the whole like eyes on the back of your head thing comes in. You have to like have like a, a sixth sense of like almost like an alarm in your head. Yeah. If something, you hear something weird, check, check it out. Because I remember when Blakely first figured out how to unlock and open a door and the front door. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Turn around. She's about to walk outside. And yeah. I'm like, nope. <laughs> Run, grab her. Um, there's just so many little things. Um, the other tip is too, is like, if you've never had a kid, my, my biggest tip is that like, it's going to be okay. Like it's the scariest fucking thing going home with a baby that you are responsible for. And you realize that they will only live if you do your job right. It's like the, the biggest responsibility you'll ever have. A lot have. of pressure. A lot of pressure. And yeah. it's scary as hell. But it works out fine. No parent steps into it knowing what the fuck to do. You know, I had zero clue. I didn't read a single book. I didn't go to a birthing class. I didn't do any of the shit that our parents and sisters and brothers recommended us to do. Um, no idea why. I think Shannon read a little bit, but I never read a thing. I just was like. you just like, I don't want to go. I don't remember what it was. I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I was busy with work, but, you know, Shannon, if she, she wants me to go, yeah, she'll make sure I go, yeah. but we just never went to breathing class. I just, like, literally, her sister at the birth was like, coach her on how to breathe. I was like, what the fuck? I don't know how to coach her how to breathe. She was like, count to three and have her breathe out on every third or something like that. Yeah. I was like, all right. And I just did that, and she was cool. It worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. The, the epidural helped, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, that's a good, oh, wait, if the baby's already here. You already know this, but big tip for guys, don't look at the epidural yeah. needle. Oh. I fainted. Yeah. That was bad. And then it's like all, all tensions on dad. You okay? And Shannon's getting this fucking foot long needle oh. in her spine. Ugh. That shit. Ugh. That was so bad. Um, man, I don't feel like I have that many great tips, to be honest with you. <laughs> getting ready for a daughter. I feel like get ready to be like a, just like a mushy, soft teddy bear I mean like I feel like I got so much more empathetic and emotional once having her like in a good way yeah but I don't know you just I don't know like learn how to embarrass yourself too like I think for me before I had Blakely it was really hard for me to just like goof off or play because I'd like didn't want to I felt embarrassed to like just be stupid you know but like with Blakely, now I'm like, I make a fool of myself in front of everybody. I don't care. You know what I mean? Talking a little baby voice. Um, I never was big for names, but now I'm like saying honey, sweetie pie, sweetie, like all that kind of shit all the time. For sure. So, I don't know. I think uh, I think you you won't be prepared. That's my biggest tip. Um, and, and I think like that quote, I posted about this quote too, but just remember that like the father determines what the daughter thinks a man is. So one of my biggest focuses in every aspect of my life is knowing that if it, Blakely is either A, literally watching me do it, and that's going to define how men should do blank, whatever I'm doing in her life later on, or when she gets old enough, she's going to go on the old Google machine and type my name in, and she's going to see all the social media stuff, all the podcasts, all the YouTube, all those things that I'm doing. Yeah. How am I conducting and presenting myself publicly and online because she will find that shit. Yeah. And if she doesn't, her first boyfriend when she's 23 will, <laughs> <laughs> or her teacher or whatever it may yeah. be. Um, and that's really important because I think at the end of the day, like, like the quote is so good. It's like the dad determines what a daughter defines as a man. Yeah. Like that, if that doesn't make you straighten up and do things the right way, I don't know what will. For sure. You know, so. Nice. All right, so next question comes from S. Rosario O2. It says, if someone is under eating and wants to lose weight and start with macros, how would you calculate if they want to lose fat? So I already kind of answered this, actually, with the first question or the second question or whatever question was about under eating. That was the first. Yes. I've been too. So I kind of already answered that. I just didn't talk about macros. So to add on top of that, I would probably, I kind of always go this route. If somebody comes to me and they're like, I, I want body composition changes, unless they have a pre-existing medical issue, hormonal issue, um, or serious adherence issue that requires me to go with a lower carb, higher fat diet, yeah. I'm almost always going to go with a higher carb, lower fat diet. Because I think that 
people, uh, they overestimate how much fats you need for healthy hormones. Like I hear people making calculations of, like even for my body weight, that like, you know, about 80 grams of fat is good and normal. And that's fine if you can consume that much. But I consume 50 Mm-hmm. and I do blood work, like hormone, I'm fine. You know what I mean? So, um, and I did that in, in my quote-unquote off-season when I'm not cutting, still 50, 55, 60 at most. So I like to go on the lower end of the spectrum with fat, go to the minimum dose you need in order to have healthy hormones. Um, usually for guys, it's about 0.3 to 0.35 times their body weight. For women, it's about 0.4 to 0.45 times their body weight. Um, and then from there, just increase carbs. So when I'm setting up macros for fat loss, um, and I actually just recently did this, like they tried a deficit, didn't work, tried a deficit, didn't work. Um, and they even cycled in and out. So like tried a deficit for a while, didn't work, went to maintenance, hung out there for a while, got healthy, tried a deficit again, and it wasn't working. And I took over. And the first thing I did with this client's macros was like, hey, we're going to drop fat from 70 all the way to 50. And yeah. I'm going to increase carbs significantly because you're stressed out. So cortisol is high. So carbs can go down. If you diet for a long time and you're under eating, guess what's going to be really high? Cortisol. Guess what's going to be really low? Thyroid. Increased carbs, going to benefit both of those things. Not that fat's not important for thyroid, yeah. but this is going to benefit your metabolism because of that. And when we talk about this G-flux theory, carbs are, it's the primary fuel source for the body, right? So when I eat carbs, my body wants to do work. When I eat fats, my body wants to do slow paced work, right? Because fats are the fuel source for walking, talking, um, brain activity to an extent, but even the brain prioritizes glucose, which is carbohydrates as its main fuel source. So there's a lot of people that talk about low carb diets help like eliminate brain fog and all that kind of shit. I'm a, I'm a more of a believer that it's not the carbs that are causing the brain fog for most people. It's processed food that's causing the brain fog. Somebody's eating a bunch of processed carbs. Well, no shit. You're eating poor ingredients. Have just white rice and sweet potatoes and see if that same thing happens. Probably not. Um, so I'm going to probably increase carbs, pull fats down, um, and maybe even keep them where that. So it, it depends on the under-eating situation. If somebody's been under-eating for a long time, I'm going to go back to the first question. I'm going to reverse diet them first, yeah. and I'm still going to use the more carb-based approach. Um, but if somebody is just just now trying to diet, it's been less than eight weeks, and they're just, they're just not seeing results, I'm probably just going to switch around carbs and fats if they have those in whack. And I'm going to try to increase carbs to have a better output in the gym, walking, sleeping, all that kind of stuff and see if we can get fat loss through energy expenditure just from increasing carbs. Gotcha. And that'll obviously, like I said, blunt cortisol, limit stress. You do that, you're going to have better results. For sure. All right. So uh, third question comes, says, so this is for somebody that's not training. How do you, how do you, how do macro recommendations change when someone's not training? That's a good question to follow up because it's the exact opposite of what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, if you're not training, then I'm going to bring carbs way down. I'm going to bring fats up. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to bring fats up significantly high because here's the thing is like a lot of people will go, oh, well, let's say your maintenance is – I calculate your maintenance and you're at 2,000 and now you're not training. Okay, well, just bring fats up, carbs down. Since you're not training, you don't need those carbs and stay at that 2,000 maintenance. Well, now we go, well, no, because the calculation completely changes. If you're not training, that 2,000 maintenance comes down to like 1,600 probably because you're not doing anything. Yeah. You know, unless you're walk, unless you're a dog walker <laughs> for a living and you're walking a ton or you're a construction worker or whatever it may be, and although you're not training, you have an active job, there's, there's no reason to have super high carbs. So if, if I'm doing a diet approach for somebody who isn't training is pretty sedentary, I might actually go with something like intermittent fasting and have just two meals a day. So the intermittent fasting will have some health benefits, but more than anything, it's just going to help adherence. Um, and they don't need to have frequent feedings throughout the day because they're not training. So two to three meals a day, really high protein, moderately high fat, pretty damn low carb. I would probably just cut starches out, have like a serving or two of fruit per day, and then a good amount of veggies. The rest is car- uh, protein and, and some fats. You'll be golden. You don't Jay. need a ton of food if, yeah. you, if you're not doing anything. Yeah, just enough. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Um, we'll go on to the next one, which comes from, um, here's a training one. What uh, It comes from, that's really my name. We've had a question from them. Yeah, we've that's heard that name before. <laughs> the best way to, ac- to access, no. <laughs> it comes from, that's really my name. The best way to assess and improve posture during squats. Mm. 
I read that as access. I think it's spelled. I, I read through quickly. Whatever it's spelled at. What is it spelled as? A-C-C-E-S-S. A- yeah, that's access. Assess would make more sense. A, a lot of sense. What What is the full question again? Let's just cancel that. Best way to to improve posture during squats. There you go. Um, <laughs> um, oh, I think I think access would make sense if she means like how to access good posture, like how to get into good posture. Sure. Um, funny word choice. I also do, like that's really my name. Don't you think it should be this is really my name? Because it's her name that we're reading, and it's like oh, this is really my name, kind of thing. That is really my name, or is her name something? creative or unique that she's like that is really my name so in her profile bio is her name and someone reads it and goes hmm and they look at her username and says there that's really my name there you go <laughs> oh that could be clever um I, I read a cool name today not to get too off topic um lizandra hmm. almost like elizabeth and alexandra put together lizandra lizandra that's cool i was like that's pretty cool i don't know where i saw it. i think she emailed me or something, but, um, shout out to Lizandra if you're listening. So how do I access and improve posture in a squat? Um, it's so hard. I almost wish I didn't ask this question to be answered, to be honest with you, because it's, it's so hard for me to say, it's like, where do you have shitty posture or poor posture? I should say, um, for a lot of people that's in your shoulders. So if I have somebody who has really rounded forward shoulders, I'm going to be doing a lot of thoracic extension as far as mobility goes. I'm probably going to be stretching the pecs a lot. Um, Maybe some bicep stretch too, where you're doing like a hand on the wall, looking away, stretching the bicep and the uh, pec by turning the other way. Um, A bunch of face pulls, external rotation of your shoulders, pull aparts, over and backs, just tons of rotator cuff, upper back, rear delt work, all your entire upper back, working the muscles, stretching the front, so your chest, um, and then working the extension of your thoracic spine, right? Um, Now, if your shoulders are great and you have bad posture in your low back and your hips, now we're talking about a completely different thing. That kind of depends. Do I need to stretch glutes or your hip flexors or both? Do we need to work on hip mobility or are you just tight in your uh, spinal erectors along your lumbar spine? In that case, we might need to do some tissue work, eliminate a lot of so this is where it's hard. I was going to say eliminate a lot of extension-based exercises or hip hinging even. But the problem with this is usually when people have low back issues, we're either extension intolerant. So it, mm-hmm. it's, it makes it worse if I go into extension or flexion intolerant, which makes it worse if I go into flexion, bending over, or we're rotation intolerant where it gets worse if I try to rotate because I don't have that movement pattern, one of the other. Um, and depending on which one of those are, we know what we have to strengthen and what we have to stretch, right? So it's really hard for me to say. But typically, you just have to look at where is the posture issue or imbalance. And then from there, stretch where it's limiting and strengthen where it would be enhancing. So again, going to the shoulders, which is usually the case because in a squat, you got to stay upright, right? And usually when people talk posture, they talk about staying upright. And to have a bar on your back or a bar front racked, we have to be tall and your shoulders have to be upright. In that case, the the best example is, again, stretch where it's limiting. So it's limited because my chest, bicep, pec 10, all that stuff is so tight that my shoulders are internally rotated forward, protracted forward. Um, And then I need to strengthen where it's not very good, which is going to be upper back, rotator cuff, rear delt, um, and scapular retraction. And when we do that, you usually improve. I mean, I've even seen it to where it's like, reduce your pressing by 50% and increase your rowing by 50%. Or your pulling. Yeah, rowing and pulling. So semantics, you know what I mean? Like sometimes people talk pulling is like pulling down. Rowing is pulling Mm. horizontally. Shoulder issues, I'd rather have them rowing horizontally. But I mean, people say pull. Pulling is pulling. Um, But eliminate 50% of your pushing, basically, front or vertical pressing, and then increase your rowing. Uh, by 50%, basically take that volume over here and then do a little bit more warming up of your upper back and stretching of your pecs. And usually that does the case. But that's also like do this every day, every week for three months and then retest your squat and see what happens. I even like telling people like that 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 need a better back squat and they have bad posture, start front squatting. 
Mm. You know, like to get into a front squat position, you have to be so much more upright. You have to stretch your lats, your chest. You have to work your upper back more because your upper back supports that front rack position. It's almost like forcing you to strengthen and stretch the issues that you have to improve your back squat. For sure. So, Touche. I think it's, I mean, it's hypothetically, no, it is harder to front squat than back squat. For most people. For most people. Yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things where it, dep- it it's all relative, you know, cause like there's, there's a, there's a calculation that you can do too, where it's like, you should be able to front squat like 75% of what you can back squat or 50% or something like that. It's, it's a good amount. Yeah. So you could argue and say, well, back squat's harder because I can add a hundred pounds to that lift. For sure. But front squat's harder because the positioning I'm in. And you can't do as much. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but then again, it's one of those things too, where it's like, if you can front squat really good, you can back squat even better. Should be. Like you should be able to, you usually can back squat really fucking good. Yeah. Um, I enjoy front squats more personally. Just because I, I feel like the injury risk is so much lower. I'm never worried about hurting my back in a, in a front squat. So it's just like less risk. I can just get after it. For sure. You know? but. All right, cool. Um, next one comes for Melissa RZ. Is it normal to feel hungrier during refeed or should I up my calories more during the refeed? Um, yes, it is normal. Should you up your calories more? Depends where you have them set up. Um, if you didn't increase your calories to maintenance or above, like basically if, if you didn't increase your calories enough on that refeed, you probably will be hungry. And in that scenario, you probably would want to increase your calories more, but you being hungry isn't the reason I would want to increase them more. You not increasing them enough to hit the threshold I wanted you to hit is why I would increase them more, which I can't tell you because totally. it's a question on a podcast. Yeah. Um, but it is normal. I mean, you know, there was like this whole thing where like cheat meals, refeed days, all that kind of stuff, it increases, it plays with your hunger hormones, ghrelin and leptin, right? And what happens is it stimulates hunger and your metabolism and all these different things, which we thought was good and prolonged. So it's like, we increase calories on these refeed days, leptin, ghrelin increase, metabolism increase, and now we've increased our metabolism. Yeah. Right? So now we can go back to dieting and our metabolism's higher. It's not the case. Usually it's like you refeed, leptin does grow, go up, so you will be hungry, your metabolism will pick up, but it's picking up to match the amount of food that you've taken in. And when you bring your calories right back down, it comes down with it to match the calories that you're consuming, which is why refeed days aren't nearly as important as we thought they were. For sure. Like I remember prepping and I, I had a refeed day like once a week, once every couple weeks or whatever it was. I can't remember. Um, I'm pretty sure I I was I had to eat pancakes. Like I'm almost positive I had to eat pancakes. That was like his thing. He wanted me to eat pancakes, which I was totally fine with because yeah. I fucking love pancakes. Um, you don't. Crazy. Keep going. Um, it blows my mind. But <laughs> I'd have pancakes and I'd have a ton of carbs. And like the theory was like, we're going to boost your metabolism with this pancake day. Uh. And... We found out later it wasn't true, obviously. Um, and, the, and the coaches, he's a smart dude. He knows that now, too. But back then, we all that's what we thought. You know, even science-based coaches thought that because there wasn't any bodybuilding research on refeeds at the huh. time, you know. Um, and placebo is a real thing. And, I, and if you are in the mindset that this is going to work, it's going to work. Because now I think I'm doing this thing that's increasing my metabolism, which motivates me to diet longer and more consistently and be more on point. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. it's just a trickle effect. Um, Travis isn't a fan of the I placebo effect. I don't know what you mean because I don't believe that. But. Dude, placebo effect is so real. So like, think about it like this. So you're saying if you think this pancake is going to boost your metabolism, then it will. Don't Incorrect. Me. Because you just told me it won't. No, so that, that's not what I meant in this case. However... It might because because oh <laughs> placebo is fucking real, dude. So if in, in the steroid, the steroid test is the best study that we have to date on this. But if somebody takes fake steroids and they think they're steroids, so they worked like steroids, what else could have done that besides the brain creating that reaction? Now, I don't necessarily think on a hormonal level that your metabolism would increase. You never know. They have to do a study on it, but my point with that was more so like, like people ask me about greens drinks. They're like, oh, should I have a green drink? I'm like, you can if you want to. It's not really not that crazy or beneficial or anything. Like I'd rather you just eat vegetables, yeah. <laughs> but, and, or take a multivitamin or something. And, and they're like, well, 
do you? And I'm like, yeah, every single morning. I'm like, why? And it's like, part of it is it's a mindset thing. Yeah. If I wake up and I chug a big greens drink, I'm like in a healthy state of mind. Like I wake up and I get right on my diet. I'm going to be more consistent throughout the day because I'm starting my day with that healthy habit. For sure. So I meant more along the lines of when I have this pancake day, I think I'm doing this like advanced creative thing that's going to improve my diet, which motivates me because I'm doing these cool things and I'm going to stay more consistent for the next 12 weeks on my prep yeah. because I'm doing these cool things. Yeah. It's like fucking pre-workout. Yeah. There's some people that take pre-workout and, and some pre-workout, like there's a lot of brands out there that do proprietary blends. That's why I like Legion. They don't. And it'll just say caffeine, creatine, beta alanine, all these things. And then it doesn't tell you how much of each thing is in there. It just says 1000 milligrams at the top of it all. So it could have 999 milligrams of like one random ingredient that doesn't do shit and then like a milligram of all the rest that do mm. things if they save money you're taking nothing yeah and but you take it you think it works honestly even beta you think it works I, trust me I, and you feel pre-workout so it's was, either you feel it or you know it works or it does that's what i was going to get to so what you're feeling is beta alanine so beta alanine makes your skin tingly and it gives you that feeling kind of like nice does, you, you know that's not energy Beta alanine doesn't do that. Caffeine would do that. Beta alanine literally allows you to push through a couple extra reps, right? It's, it, there's a process that it, it, it works, but it only does that if you're doing, I, I want to say it's 40 seconds minimum, but it might even be 60 seconds of work, right? So it's really good for somebody doing like cycling on, mm -hmm. like a, a, on like a marathon or something, you know, because you're going way beyond 60 seconds. So it allows you to buffer that lactate and, and keep producing exercise, keep being active. But when we're training in here and we're doing five reps on a squad, we're done in 10 to 20 seconds. That beta alanine hasn't even had a chance to help us whatsoever. And it doesn't stimulate your nervous system. So it doesn't actually give you energy. It's not what it does. But when you take a pre-workout and you get that tingling sensation, you're like, it's fucking go time. And you're ready to train. Mm -hmm. You feel great. That's placebo. You feel the tingle and you assume something's working. But what's working isn't going to do anything for you because you're not training in the range of the time frame that even needs that ingredient. All right. Caffeine does. Now, Legion's pre-workout has a good amount of caffeine in it. So that shit works. But you feel the tingle of the beta alanine in it. Caffeine's a placebo. Caffeine works. Caffeine stimulates your nervous system. See, I think you pick and choose what is a placebo and what isn't. No, placebo is... <sighs> I, don't, I think you don't... Un, I don't think Maybe you I actually don't. know what a real placebo is. I've read so many research studies yeah, on I'm, placebo. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I disagree with you. I've read so many studies on placebo that I'm very confident in it. And I can tell. And that's why I want to get that guy on the podcast so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so you can edit Speaking that and be like, God damn it. Um, but placebo is literally just giving you something fake, but convincing you that it's going to work or that it's real. And, and then it does work because of that. If, all right. What? If it's fake, it, it won't. But you don't know it's fake. That's my whole point. So pseudoscience is like, I've said this a bunch of times to you, yeah, pseudoscience, I know. I know. for somebody who doesn't know research, doesn't know scientific principles or anything, you can tell them something is scientific and they will trust you. It's pseudoscience, not proven, right? No hate, but naturopaths, yeah. pseudoscience, there's yeah. not much evidence on that. Seed cycling, there's no research on that whatsoever, but these women claim their menstrual cycle improves because they're cycling these different seeds throughout the week. What's really probably happening is they think they're using the strategy that's going to improve their stress and their, their, their menstrual cycle, their hormones. And then that happens because they calm down. They get less anxiety. They're, they feel like something's working. Nothing's working. Your mind is just telling you that you're doing something right and it's going to pay off. All right. I feel you. That's placebo. Have you ever tried to find the lab results or the qualifications behind the supplements you're taking? Probably not. In fact, it's pretty hard to find because the supplement industry can be a shady place. And it's really hard to do background checks to find out where the, the, the products and the ingredients are sourced and see if there's any lab tests publicly available online. But the cool thing about Legion is they give you all the information you can possibly need and provide you with content around education for training and nutrition outside of the supplement industry. So they'll teach you how to improve your body without their product, but they'll give you a product that supplements that to help benefit you and get better results along the way. Not to mention they're on Labdoor, so you can see their rankings as one of the top supplement companies for purity and quality that is on the market. I cannot recommend them enough and I've been recommending them to clients 
members, uh, my friends, my family, everybody for years. I've been using them for years. And now to have them as a podcast sponsor is pretty damn cool. So if you enter your promo code boom boom, you'll save 20% on your first order and start collecting points. You can also head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom. Now without any further ado, let's get back to the podcast. All right. Let's get on to the next question. I don't even think I answered her question. Yeah, you did. Uh, is it normal to feel hungry during a refeed or should I upright calories? Oh, yeah. So leptin ghrelin usually bump up and you probably will feel hungry. Yep. But I wouldn't use that as a reason to increase calories because we don't know if that's really what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, most people feel the most hungry the day after a refeed. For sure. We're dieting, dieting, dieting. We refeed. We're super satisfied. And then the next day we're fucking hungry, but we have to diet again just because of the transition of calories. Yeah. For sure. All right. Uh, oh, my God. I can feel this one coming. <laughs> What's your opinion on extend muscle recovery? Oh, um, I meant to look up the supplement before we started, but I didn't. Um, I think Figured extend. It was just a placebo. It's definitely a placebo. I mean, <laughs> that's a given. All right. Um, extend muscle recovery. Uh, what is it? Is it aminos? Oh, okay. So it's aminos. Um this isn't even an educated opinion. BCAAs, muscle recovery plus electrolytes. I mean, my opinion on it is cool. I mean, if you feel good on it. Um, it has 7 grams of BCAAs. So uh, it's 3.5 grams of leucine, 1.7 grams, uh, 1.75 grams each of isoleucine and valine, which is technically enough to spike muscle protein synthesis. There's zero calories, which is great. And then it has a bunch of electrolytes, which might be helpful during a training session, which I do agree with. Um whether I agree or, or not with extend, I can't tell you go to labdoor.com. Go to lab. Anytime you're going to buy a supplement, go to labdoor.com. L a B D O O R.com. Go there. Okay. They have rankings, So you can literally go to the BCA section and you can see, okay, he said 3.5 grams of leucine, 1.75 of the others, seven grams total. Let's see if that's accurate. Mm. And it'll tell you what supplements are accurate, which is another reason why I like Legion. They're always at the top of this chart because they actually put in what they say they put in. But some people will put 20 grams of protein on a label and then you look on Labdoor and there's only 15 grams in there or the quality is very poor. So they have a like A, B, C, D, E, F, ranking, like or, ranking, yeah. um, A, B, C, D, F. Why do they have A, B, C, D? Why does it go right to F? Because fail? Yeah. What's D, C, and A and B? What do those stand for? A, B, C, D. Yeah, like when you're grading. You get an A, you get a B, you get a C, you get a D, and then it goes right to F. What about E? F makes sense because Why would failure. I know that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but A doesn't make sense. Um, it's the top of the alphabet. It's so, the best. So, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so go to labdoor.com and look, and if ex- if extend is on there, yeah, that doesn't sound like a muscle building I am fully aware. <laughs> Sounds like extends. <laughs> that's what it is. I was trying to think. I was like, isn't yeah. there like a product? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so go. They weren't thinking very well when they made yeah. that, but it's a popular. Dude, they sell a lot of those. That's really? a pretty well-known brand. Um, but go there, see what they're ranked as. If they're ranked poorly, then don't get it. But also remember too, like electrolytes are great for hydration, training, all that stuff. BCAs aren't that great. They're just not that needed. If you're getting enough protein per day, you don't need BCAs. Um, if you like the taste of BCAs while training, you can take them. It's not going to hurt you. I actually do that quite often because I just enjoy drinking something with flavor while I train. Um, and if I don't eat dinner for two hours afterwards, I might be helping recovery a little bit. There's also some research that shows branching amino acids. And I, I want to say me and Brandon did a research review on this. They help uh, the mental side of things. So they actually stimulate your brain to go harder and longer, <laughs> extend, <laughs> um, no pun intended. But that way when we're training, like in, like I think of that workout I did with Brock yesterday, when we're on the assault bike and yeah. we're like, we got 20 seconds left and I'm dying. Like the BCAs might help my brain get me through that. Um, minimal studies and it's mostly on re, uh, endurance. So this, we're talking like 30, 60 plus seconds of work and your brain starts to f- fog. But um, yeah, they're not, they're not needed, but they might be helpful in that sense. Electrolytes yeah. are good for you, but you don't, you just don't need them. It's not a supplement that I ever put on somebody's protocol. All right, cool. Uh, next question comes from Ashlyn Christine it says most common cut duration, three, six or nine months or something else that you think. 
uh, most common in the industry, three. Most common for us, six. Uh, most ideal, probably six. Yeah. I mean. it's <laughs> usually why you would do it. Yeah. I almost said most ideal nine just to use her numbers. But I uh, I would say nine if we're including the maintenance phase. You know, okay. so like if I'm taking you, because I think of it like this. Perfect world scenario with a client. Well, I guess it, it all depends. You know, if somebody comes to me, they have five pounds to lose. There's no way we're spending more than 12 weeks. We don't, we shouldn't need to, you know, but for the for average person, usually we see people, they want to lose anywhere between 15 to 30 pounds. That tends to be like the most common range for people who really want to lose weight. Yeah. Those people, I'm going to say six to eight months and, and people stay with us. Like the, the average client we work with stays with us for seven to nine months. So it makes sense. But basically that allows us to go, okay, we're going 12 week diet phase maybe we have a couple refeeds in there and then we're going to take a month off diet break and then we're going to take another 12 weeks to diet again to get rid of that last little bit and then we're going to reverse diet you totally but that's three four seven and then a couple more months you're at nine months after the reverse diet yeah so i think three to six months is the most common but nine months is how long i want somebody with us Hmm. at least nine months totally obviously if anybody is like i'll commit to a year that's always the most ideal but yeah you know All right. Uh, next question comes from Tabby Mays. I just started a cut and the scale has gone up and been up for a few days now. Poor Q. <laughs> I, was, I had to. I had to Google that. I was like, I think that's Spanish for what's going on. Because ah, so because yeah. I'm assuming she ran That's out of space, grandma. so maybe like because why? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, a good assumption. What's the question again? So she just started a cut, and the scale has gone up, and has uh, been up for a few days now. Um, I mean, it could be so many different things. A lot of time, some coaches feel awkward talking about this, but my first question always like menstrual cycle. Yeah, is that almost here, or is it here? Because if that's the case, you're probably going to fluctuate weight. Um, did you change your diet? in any dramatic way when jumping in this deficit. And what I mean by that, besides cutting calories, yeah. um, if you changed food groups, now we have to go, okay, are you accurately tracking those new food groups? Cause they're different for you. You might not know how to track them accurately or B um, are you eating anything that maybe isn't agreeing with you? Because even if you're not like intolerant to it, if it's something new and it's causing any type of inflammation in the gut, you're going to retain water in the gut. That's what happens with inflammation. And yeah. now we're holding on to water. Um, or did you stop sleeping? I know a lot of people that jump into a diet and it just happens to be a time where also their kid's not sleeping or they had to get up early for work a bunch of times. Like now they're not sleeping enough. Cortisol's higher. Stress hormone retains water. There could be so many different things. I usually tell people if you go in a deficit, wait two full weeks to determine it's not working. If you gain a couple pounds and in two weeks you still haven't lost that, then most likely you're not doing one of those things right you're tracking wrong, you're not actually in a deficit, whatever it may be, um, or you probably weren't ready for a diet. That's when I would ask you, like, when was the last time you dieted? And mm-hmm. She was like, oh, I just got off a six-month diet two months ago. I'd be like, you're not even close to ready to diet again, and your body is telling you that right now. It's saying, no, this is stressful. I don't want to do it, so I'm going to retain water. I'm going to fluctuate. I'm not going to lose weight, right? Um, so that's tough. There's a lot of questions to be asked, but usually it's something simple, and, and if it's only been a few days, wait it out. Be patient. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, uh, let's go to the last one on this page. It's from J. Elliott 37. Uh, are you any closer to releasing performance bodybuilding? No. <laughs> Not really. That's a um, textbook? Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, nobody knows about that yet. Oh. Um, little teaser for you guys. Uh, so performance bodybuilding will be an ebook, kind of like functional muscle. It'll be a training book. Um the program is completely done, and most of the ebook is written. Um, there's just some final tweaks we got to make, and uh, timing-wise, it's just not the best time to launch. Honestly, like the main reason we haven't released ebooks is because I think people should be in the Taylor Trainer. Yeah, it's like why get an ebook that will cost you twice as much as a month of the Taylor Trainer when you can get the Taylor Trainer, which delivers your programs every day, gets updated every month, and it's, it's on an app. Yeah. Like you get an app that's going to yeah. take you in. And if 
you're listening Constantly. to this late or if you listen to this and just be patient for a little bit or sign up now and you'll be the first to see it, we're completely revamping the entire Taylor Trainer where you're going to actually get an app called the Taylor Trainer and it's completely updated, so fucking dope and everything's done for you. Now you can manage your own training schedule on your phone without having to request it from us and us tweaking things and adjusting things. So it's not only going to be more user-friendly and, and a better client experience, but it's going to be smoother and have better programming in it because it gives us more time to focus on the and programming yeah. and more programs. Yeah. Cause now instead of me spending time helping people arrange things, they can do that on their own the way they want to do it. And I can spend my time making badass programs and continually progressing them. Yeah. So, um, and too, like things change, you know? So like in six months, if some new research comes out, I can go back to all those programs and tweak them to reflect the new research coming out. Can't do that with an ebook. Yeah. So once it's out, it's out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, we probably still will release it because uh, it's already almost done. It's just that, you know, with the new year, with the mentorship, with uh, the new tailored trainer revamp, like we got to get all those things done first and then we'll, we'll release that book. For sure. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Um, All right, next question comes from what is oh uh, from uh, Sean Ryan PT. What is your favorite training principle and for that and for that favorite method? I don't think I could name a favorite principle or method, honestly, like cuz to me it, like if I look at training principles, yeah. Compound movement patterns is number 1, yeah. right? Squat, hip hinge, push pull i'd add lunge and then a carry mm-hmm. um and for some people I, I would say core core is not a movement but like for some people carry is the most fundamental important core exercise you need for some people it's a plank for some people it's a dead bug it really depends on the person but train your core um but like is that my favorite principle or is like the principle of specificity you know, specificity calls for like, no, whatever you are like that. I mean, that speaks to tailored coaching more than anything is yep. this is specific for you. Yep. Um, so it's hard to say there's, you know, there's the principle of power, the principle of strength, the principle of hypertrophy and volume. There's the principle of movement efficiency, aerobic capacity. Aerobic capacity is one that not a lot of people think of, but you can't train successfully or hard if you have zero aerobic ability that's your engine. Yeah. That's what allows you to do what you do. So I don't know if I can pick one. If I had to pick one, I'd probably say specificity because I think that's the biggest, most important one because whoever you are, it's got to be specific to you. Yeah. You know, even if you're doing a group program, like in the Taylor trainer, there's 20 fucking programs. One of them is specific for you. That's why we did it that way, you know? Um, so that's hard. And as far as a method goes, That's tough too because it's like, I mean, 531 is a method. That's a great way to do compound lifts, but you can't do 531 forever, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I mean, what else would be a method in training? I'm trying to think. Like, is that not to do with like lower, upper, lower, upper? I don't know. That's the thing. It's like, okay, so is a training split, is that a method, a method. or is that just I might, a tool? Okay. You know, because I even think of like, um, like a drop set. Is that a method or is that a tool that you use in your training? You know, a lot of I, them are I tools. Would, I would say that's a method also, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I think it could well go both ways. Yeah. It's hard to say. I think principle for sure. Specificity. I, I would say for method. Um, it's up in the air. It's up in the air. It's really hard to say. Cool. It's a good question. Yeah. That's, that's making me think. All right. Cool. The next one. Ooh, com- I know it. What's that? Exercise sequencing. Oh, dope. that would be my method. Yeah. Um, because, I loved upper lower splits. Upper lower splits is probably my favorite split for most people mm-hmm. and myself, but it's not always the best split. Um, drop splits are fun, but it's definitely not my favorite method. Like there's so many things, but I think exercise sequencing is one of those ones that I really prioritize that not a lot of people do. And it's like when I start the workout and finish the workout, there's an order of operations throughout that process from the warm up to the priming, to the activation, to the compound, to the accessory, to the hypertrophy, to the metabolic, like there's a reason for it. Um, and I see a lot of people just mix match shit together and throw it on a piece of paper it's as good exercises and they just do them all in an hour. That's not a good program. Yeah. So that'd be my method. Dope. Good answer. All right. So the next one comes from Denise L. Armstrong. She says, I had C-section 16 years ago. Can I really get my abs back and ditch the gross stomach? 
Um, it it depends. You know, like I think, can you get your six pack back? Yes. Now, the gross stomach thing. First of all, I, I would highly encourage you not to talk about yourself that way. Like I think word choice is really important. Absolutely. People don't think about that, but like what you say sticks in your own brain so much. So, um, I really try to be good about like, especially my family and 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 me and Shannon around Blake and stuff like that, but just making sure we have good word choices and we're not putting ourselves down. Um, but that being said, yes, you can definitely get your abs back with the stomach. It kind of depends. Um, if you had a C-section and you have a big scar, I wouldn't know. I yeah. would not know if you can, I mean, you might have to get surgery to, to fix a scar like that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sell you on some collagen that's going to fix <laughs> your skin. Um, if you had stretch marks from being pregnant, same thing. Collagen will help because it helps heal your skin, but it's not going to just cure them, right? Yeah. That's going to take a long time of eating healthy, getting really lean and staying lean so they don't continue to stretch, building muscle and just staying healthy. And eventually it'll slowly but surely come in, but really slowly. Like stretch marks and loose skin take a long time to repair themselves, um, which is why some people get loose skin surgically removed because it's much faster to just cut it, stitch it, let it heal. Yeah. Um, and I, I honestly Damn. don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I'm not a fan of liposuction and things like that. I'd much rather help, help people lose weight the right way. But if somebody goes through a 100-pound weight loss and they're like, I want to get rid of this loose skin. I've, I've accomplished this goal. I want to get rid of it. Cool. Go get surgery. Yeah. I fully support that. Yeah. Um, but sometimes You did that's, the hard work. You did the hard work. And that's sometimes what it results to. But getting abs underneath, 100%. You can get them just as much as I can get them. Yep. You know, as long as you fully recovered from the C-section – and your doctor allows you to train your abs again, 100% you can build your abs. For sure. The skin thing I can't I can't be sure of. Yeah. Thanks. Pretty accurate. Good answer. All right. Next one comes from Coach Triz. If you could only uh, – he loves the personality questions. Yeah. If you could only do one forever, smoker or traditional barbecue? <sighs> That's tough. Definitely traditional. Oh, really? I'd, yeah. go, I'd go smoking. Dude, I'm basic. You are basic. To everything, apparently. Yeah, you're a basic bitch. <laughs> I got it. Traditional so good, though. I don't like smoked stuff. Oh, what? Yeah. Dude. Oh, my God. Have I cooked you anything on my Traeger? Maybe. Besides the brats on 4th of July, because we, bar- we barbecued those. Maybe. And they were fire. Okay. Oh, my God, were they good. You're, you're going to be at my house <laughs> when we... Oh, wait. No, we're not doing that. Okay. I was gonna say uh, I'll come to your house someday. I know, but I'm talking about <laughs> catering for the menti guys. Oh, you're gonna yeah, be there. Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna smoke meat and stuff, but I won't be there all day, so I don't want to do that. So oh. we're just gonna get catering. But oh, um, that this is the first thing I said to Shannon. We have this huge tri tip in our freezer. I was like, when we're moving, I'm putting the tri tip in. Like first thing, we're getting the Traeger set up. I'm putting the tri tip in while we move shit, and we're eating smoked meat that night because the apartments won't let us smoke any meat. Yeah, fuckers. Do you but, have like chairs and? You're just for outside, oh, for inside or outside? Anywhere. How you? How inside. you have dinner? Inside. We have, we'll have all that stuff. Oh, okay. So, um, we we I mean we have what's at the apartment, and then we have a storage oh, two storage from units. the old house. Yeah, oh, we have okay. a storage yeah. unit with the stuff from the old house, um, and then we have the new storage unit with the new furniture and stuff. Oh, you have new furniture already. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good. because we sold a bunch of the old ones. But and knowing Shannon, we'll have all that shit set up by the end of the night. Okay. She won't rest until the house is done. Yep. I guarantee. Um. But that's like my first time. I'm like, I can't wait to smoke. But the cool thing about the Traeger is when you smoke it, it also grills it. It's not like, you know, how some smokers, like you hang it or yeah. you put it in there. Like this smoker, like you turn it on, you get it up. It, I mean, it's going at a high temp. It'll still grill it. But the best thing to do is turn it. So it's it's an oven too, mm. which is dope. So it's electric. So you turn the grill on to like 450 and just like sear the shit out of the steak and then turn it to smoke. And then the temperature drops and you just smoke the steak. Bro, it is unreal because now you get the best of both worlds i'm not sure the smoke is a good world though dude it's <laughs> oh a great God. it's a great touche i mean maybe you can change my mind yeah i'll have to so we i uh, i think the it's hard to say i was gonna say the best i've done in there is ribs like yeah. a big rack ribs so fucking good but i also did a chicken a full chicken yeah See, that might be good i hate smoked salmon I know people like. So that's probably wise because you probably think of, a lot of people think of smoked and they immediately think of smoked salmon. Like that's the taste they get in their mouth. Yeah. Which I love smoked salmon, but I would much rather have like a smoked tri-tip where I, I do my own rub and all that stuff. Okay. That's actually like for cooking. I never cook, but when it comes to that, like I'll 
do the research and make my own shit. And you, you, I put it in there for seven hours. Good. And it's just smoking probably, all probably day. phenomenal, man. Dude, it's so good. So I, I would definitely do that. I would so, 100% do that. So your answer is smoked? Yeah, because right. everything well, you, is good smoked. Trez, if you were asking me, I'm going with traditional. Unless jo- Cody changes my mind. <laughs> Hopefully I will. I ch- didn't I change your mind about mushrooms too? Like No, what? I thought you didn't like mushrooms. I still don't. Never have, never will. You had them at my dad's house in the oh, barbecue bubble okay. and Those aren't real mushrooms. Those are sautéed for a day and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Those are so good. They're so fucking good. Oh, my God. Dude, but we've turned so many people into people who will eat mushrooms because I'll of I'll eat those. mushrooms at your dad's house. Yeah. But I'm, well, no, he, he, nowhere yeah. else you convinced me no. to have a mushroom. We call that bubbling chicken. He puts chicken, bunch of mushrooms in his home homemade barbecue sauce in a yes. fucking gallon Ziploc bag yes. for like a week. Yes. And just lets it marinate yeah. in the fridge. And then when he cooks it, he cooks it on, what are those things called? The foil like casserole dishes. You know, they, you, you like barbecue beans and all that kind of stuff in them. Yeah, I don't he know. He cooks it in that. So on the barbecue, they just fucking boil. Yeah. Basic in barbecue a sauce. Skillet? I don't know. No, it's like a... Uh, it's like a casserole dish, but it's yeah. it's foil, so you can put it on the grill huh. or dispose of it afterwards. Yeah, I don't know. But. but instead of grilling the chicken, it just literally basically bubbles in this yeah. fucking sauce. So we always go out there with toothpicks, and we pick out all the mushrooms as it's cooking, yeah. and the mushrooms are cooking oh in the barbecue sauce. The way I had it, it was just in a pan on the stove. Yeah, he yeah. took them out. Yeah, exactly. Took them all out and put them in the pan. Oh, he that might have been. Sometimes we'll put them in the in the pan with butter and yeah. Johnny's. Uh, I don't know. No barbecue sauce. Th- so the bubbling chicken's a different one. Um, that one I remember, is, I remember barbecue salsa though I, I, you probably had both okay you probably had yeah because we do both all the time and, and sometimes like when my dad's cooking he'll just that's just like it's there while he's cooking everybody yeah, eats mushrooms that's what we're doing big pot or big pan butter tons of mushrooms and just a shit ton of Johnny seasoning huh. I do it all the time sounds with, good when me and Shannon are making food I always yeah. do that so good alright um, let's go to um you got any Seinfeld questions? BTW. <laughs> no. With BTW 770, with deadlifts, I tend to feel it more in my quads than posterior chain. Is that normal? No. Definitely not normal. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it's not normal. What's normal? Uh, normal should be. I w- but that's the thing is like, I won't even say normal. I'll say correct. Gotcha. What's correct? Because a lot of people do feel it too much in their quads, but they're not doing it properly. Yeah. Um. Now, if you're doing a trap bar deadlift or a conventional deadlift with a very tall posture and low hip stance, you're going to feel it in your quads. Mm-hmm. Because if you watch, if you took the bar away and you watch the mechanics of the movement, it's a squat. Yeah. You're just pulling off the floor instead of like a bar on your back, like starting at the top. Um, so what I would say is, is your hips are too low, your chest is too tall. Yeah. Sit back into it. Let your knees come back a little bit more. Put more uh, load into your glutes and hamstrings. Now you're going to feel it more in your glutes and hamstrings, which is where you should feel it. A deadlift is more of a hip hinge than a knee-based movement. A squat is a knee-based movement. So depending on what you're after, that's not always a bad thing. Yeah. But most of the time I would suggest sitting back into it, loading the glutes, loading the hamstrings, because that's what you should be after. For sure. But it's it's what you're feeling is somewhat normal because a lot of people make that mistake. Um, and it's not always a mistake because sometimes people want to do dead squats, which is what I call them, which is basically you're pulling from the floor, but you're doing it in a position that hammers your quads more. Yeah. So, but obviously that's not what he's after. No. All right, cool. Next question comes from Tiffy, space R. Uh, your, what are your favorite joggers? Um... Probably Alpha Elite. Yeah. Probably, I like LiveFit too. Um, it depends what kind of joggers we're talking about. Yeah. If we're talking about sweats yeah. like that I wear in the gym, I would say it used to be LiveFit, but um, Alpha Elite has, always, has been my go-to. They're always the most comfortable, and they look sick, and they're a good price. Like, yeah. look, you buy Nike joggers now, and you're yeah. spending 110 bucks, 120 bucks yeah. for, like, nice joggers. And the Alpha Elite ones are – in my opinion, just as nice quality, but they actually last longer than my Nike ones do, like through the wash and everything. Huh. More more wash cycles, and I think they're like 60 bucks. Alpha Lease? Alpha Lease. Yeah. yeah. That's Christian Guzman. Yeah, I'm going to check those out. They're, I like them. I'm a big Lulu guy, but yeah, they're Lulu, also 100 bucks. Yeah, Lulus are sick too, but the amount of I wear sweat joggers, I'm like... Can't pay that much. I'd have $1,000 in my pant drawer. Yeah. You know, like that's just ridiculous. But when it comes to like... 
my nice joggers, like when I'm like going out for a drink or going to dinner or whatever. Xanarobe. Xanarobe. Xanarobe is probably my favorite clothing brand. Yeah. A lot of people ask me about like my blank tees. This one is the exception, but um, Xanarobe is always my go-to. Dope. I just like literally, it's like black, white, red, gray, green. I just got all these fucking colors. And their joggers are dope. All right. That uh, tie-dyed hoodie I was wearing yesterday. Yeah. That's yeah, Xanarobe. I saw that. That's yep. Xanarobe. Yep. That's it. All right, last question is from Ashley, AB8291. Wow. Degree in exercise science versus NASM is a et cetera cert. Is a ISSA. I don't know where the question is. Yeah, I think they're asking, like, go get a degree or go get certified. Oh, a degree in exercise science or a NASM yeah. ISSA cert. My, my post today is perfect for that. Yeah. Uh certification does not mean qualification. So I know people who I know people who have one training cert that's expired because you have to like update it, yeah. you know, and they're amazing trainers and they're better trainers than people who have a four year exercise trainers science degree or coach or coach. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I, I think it all depends, you know, like I, I reached out to Nate green. If anybody's OG in the industry, you'll know Nate. He's been around for a while. He's a really, really smart dude. Really cool dude. I reached out to him when I was 19 years old and I asked him, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm going to be done with school in a year. I was going to a community college. Um, granted I was getting my degree in health and personal training. It's, it's literally like a health coach, two year college degree. It's one of the only schools in the country that does it. Mm. Um, they actually just completely revamped the entire Highland community college gym because of the program. Damn dude. It's like a during COVID. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's a sick gym. They've been. It was in the works before COVID hit, yeah. and then it it finished during COVID. You seen it? Or just pictures. Oh, um, I'm on the advisory board, so they send me all the updates and everything. Um, not of the school, but of the gym health program. Yeah, at the college, uh, super dope. But um, I was almost done with my two years there, and I had gone through an exercise science class. I'd gone through biochemistry, business math. Uh, legal ramifications of personal training. So like, what do I have to watch out for getting sued? Stuff yeah. like that. Safety, um, program design, one one nutrition, one one nutrition, two like, it's a really thorough course. Um, besides math, everything was spe- super specific for training oh. and, and being a coach. And I got to the end, close to the end of that. And I was like, Hey, should I transfer, finish my bachelor's with exercise science because I have X amount of credits that will apply to that. I'll just have to, I would have basically had to take like an English and then one other class and then I would have been accepted for a four year. And he was like, what, like, what are your goals? And I was like, I literally just want to be the best coach possible. I was like, I just want to be a coach. I don't know if I'm going to own my own gym or own online business. Like I'm just going to be a coach. And he was like, go intern for somebody who really knows what they're doing and just coach people, get experience. Don't go to four year degree college. There's no reason you don't need to do that. Yeah. And I was just like, well, I'm already interning for this guy named Luke Osvar. He's like, dope. I know exactly who that is. Keep doing it. Dope. Don't go anywhere. And I was like, sick. I just took his word for it, and I'm super happy I did that. Yep. Now, I have multiple coaches on my staff who have four- to six-year college degrees. Um, some are getting their master's as we speak. Um, Lisa and Haley, actually, are both getting their master's right now. Yeah. And I encouraged it. I was like, dope. I'm going to help you manage all this while you go to school. Like, I want you to do that because you're already in there. You love school. You love being in the lab. I think nowadays it'd be more important than it was before. Most people would say the opposite. In most industries, it's like, you really don't need to go to college. Just go work. You know what I mean? You don't need a college degree nowadays. Nobody asks you. But because training and nutrition is becoming more and more and more evidence-based and research and science is becoming so much more prioritized or put on a pedestal inside our industry. I almost think it's more important now than it was because now you can say, well, I have my master's in sports nutrition and I'm a dietitian or like Brandon, I I actually conduct research. I'm a PhD. So it holds more value now than it did. But when I say you don't need it, you really don't need it. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it depends on what route you want to go. hundred percent. And then here, this thing too, you will learn more in the exercise science degree than you would with a NASM certification. I promise you that. But a NASM or exercise science, neither of them are going to teach you everything that you need to know. Like if you haven't looked at that post, go back and look at it. It says certified does not mean qualified. But what I said was, you know, I have 
think it was five nutrition certifications, four training certifications, a college degree in coaching, um, and the countless workshops, seminars, courses that I've done that don't give you a certificate at the end yeah. or give you a certificate, but you're like, this is a weekend course. I'm yeah. not going to put this on my wall. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the ones I'm talking about four or five, they're all three to 12 month programs. But where I learned the most and got the most skills as a coach was my internship, the two internships I had, I had one through college and then one before I worked at Vigor. And then the first probably hundred clients I worked with now in it's person. probably been a thousand, but in person, and uh, yeah, I'd say the first hundred were all in person, um, but working with real people, yeah. the first real hundred real people that I worked with, um, and then hiring coaches and having people coach me. Those were, those three things taught me more than any book I've ever read. It taught me more than my college degree. It taught me more than any certification because it's practical experience and it's people showing me what they do and how they do it. Yeah. And so I don't, I, I think it's one of those, yeah, it depends on what you want to do. If you just want to be a trainer or a nutrition coach, go get more certifications and read more books and get experience. Touché. If you want to do research, if you want to get your CSCS and work with athletes, if you want to be a dietitian, if you want to do anything that requires a degree, it's a no brainer. Go get a degree. Yep. You know, but yeah. Touche, man. That's good. Um, that's the last question for today. So, uh, yeah. Any announcements real quick? trying to think when this goes out no we just wrapped up the mentorship shout out to everybody who's in the mentorship we're going to be starting fresh in february um now that everybody's enrolled um i've been getting a lot of questions about if we're going to launch it again i had a lot of people reach out and they're like i can't right now because of blank right i just had a kid or or i lost my job because of covid whatever it may be um and there's no definitive answer i keep telling people like i wish i could tell you yes july 2nd but we think we're going to launch again we just can't say for sure, and we don't know when. Yeah, it, that's why we keep the group small, and it's very tight knit and very um, personal. Yep, you know. So just keep a lookout. Just keep a lookout. Otherwise, no announcements. Cool. Leave us a five star rating review if you love us. Check it out on YouTube. Oh yeah, go. We should probably always say yeah. that. Yeah. Definitely go subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're putting all the podcasts on YouTube now. The Tailored Life podcast on YouTube. Cody McBroom, I think it's Cody McBroom. YouTube channel is educational videos so they're gonna be separate um the live podcast yep. but even if you if you usually listen on itunes like you are right now um unless you're watching this obviously um go subscribe to the channel because it does help us and we really want to get enough people on there so we can grow that channel um get more eyes on it get more cool people on the podcast because the bigger the p- channel gets on youtube the more subscribers and more views the more likely we'll be able to get bigger and better guests because they'll have something to refer to and notice. Absolutely. So even if you don't like YouTube, you don't have the YouTube app, you don't watch YouTube, anything, please do us a huge favor. If you like this podcast, go subscribe because it will influence what we do as a whole. We'd appreciate it.